To keep up with the rising costs of hosting the Hockey Hurts podcast, we encourage you to voluntarily support the podcast by visiting our Hockey Hurts Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash hockey hurts. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts podcast for April 29th of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And up front, I think we both, I think I speak for Cameron as well. We just want to apologize. Our site was down for about a week and a half or so. We we had to fix some, some things on the back end there, but it's up and running and we are back up in podcasting. So apologies for, for that if you were unable to get our uh Last podcast that was out, the only way you could have gotten it was a direct link from our Patreon page. But we're back up and running. This should pop into your iTunes or RSS feeds again. So apologies. As far as the material for today, more playoff talk. We'll uh, talk a little bit about some of the happenings from the now-concluded round one. And we will certainly talk about all the things that we think are going to happen in round two. So, where do you want to start? Horold Anaheim? Yeah. That's a tough one. Bruce. I, I, don't, I don't know what else you can kind of say. I mean, they sort of do everything right, get to game seven, and it's almost like they believe in the curse now, I suppose, the players. You have a look at that or the players they play against believe they can beat them. I mean, Pecorino... Pecorino's save percentage in that game was was really really good. Like I literally thought Rene would be the hole that sinks Nashville's ship, and I remember tweeting out about Rene's you know pleasantly surprised me. And he said he was still below average. Well, below average was enough for that Nashville team. So I have a a tweet from a Mike Camito that I found that somebody retweeted into my feed and. Bruce Boudreaux has a pretty terrible Game 7 record now. Yeah, it's getting ugly. I think he's 0-7. Does that sound right? That's reasonably ugly. 8 9 10-13-14-15-16. So he's, a lot of these seasons that his teams bow out are Game 7s. Um, and this particular tweet has the opposing goalie save percentage versus his. And it's... <laughs> It's ridiculous. Marty Baran, 951. Cristobal Huey, 912. That's from 08. The huge Pittsburgh-Washington series from 09. Fleury was only at 905 for that game. Varlamov and Theodore were 800. And it goes on down the list. 875, 906, 800, 808. Last, uh, this year, Frederick Anderson had a 900 save percentage in game seven. Uh, the other goalies, 951, like I said with Flurry, 905, that's by far the lowest one on here. Halak, 976, Howard, 939, Quick, 926, Crawford, 921, and last night, or the night before, Rene, 973. <laughs> you, so you get there and you, you do wonder how much of that is the goalie and how much of that is how the players are playing. Like the last, like that's four in a row now Nash, uh, that Anaheim have lost in game seven, right? And, and you sit there and in those game sevens, they've not been able to actually put the puck behind the goalie they're shooting on. So it, does that really come down to Boudreaux or is that the players that have to take responsibility for that? I think there's an incredible amount of bad luck going for him there with the goalie thing, especially. But that's four years in a row that's bad luck. Like how, how far do you, you say it's a trend? It's impossible with that sample size. You know, different goalies, different years. Yeah, different rounds. It's it's tough. It could be just an awful coincidence. Some people are going to think Bruce Boudreaux did not coach well in Game 7. In fact, I've heard it already. I looked at some it of the expected goal models. Um, I... I'm telling you now, he should not get fired. And if they do, um, anybody else in the league should grab him as a coach. Yeah, and the expected goals model that um, I saw, at least one of them, uh, Anaheim, if they played that game over, had an 86% chance of winning. That's really high. 
They didn't win because Rene went 973 on them. But, like, how can you sit back and honestly say, boy, they played really bad that game. I don't believe that happened. The thing, the thing that I love hearing about that that eighty six percent chance to win is that people will get there and go, oh, but they didn't win, did they? It's like no, there's fourteen percent chance that they might lose as well, and they fell into that fourteen percent for that game seven. It, it's just, it's amazing how Boudreaux seems cursed in game sevens, if you know what I mean. Um, it's one of those things where having to win that game in Nashville was pretty important for them because. Like you said, that's seven in a row, and I think that's four years in a row that Anaheim have lost in Game 7s as well, at home. Uh, 2013, 14, 15, 16. Yep, last four years they've been out in Game 7. At home. And the 2014 one, it was the Stanley Cup champs. They really almost could have won. They got clobbered that game, though. Yeah. I just you, you do sit there and you go. It does show you the strength of the West that Nashville, who I have to admit, after they got Ryan Johansson, they were kind of my dark horse to do well and and, and do something this year in the playoffs. And then I kind of tempered my expectations because of Pekka He was literally the reason that I thought that because goaltenders can just sink playoff runs. It's as simple as that. And he's not done that so far. Like, to come up with such a strong save percentage in Game 7 and still only be, what was it, just below average, shows you how much, what the ceiling and the and the floor is for Pecorino. It's such a large split that if they can just get consistent average out of him, they'll probably scare everyone in that West now. Yeah, they... Um... I like the Sharks a lot. I know I picked L.A. I'm glad I was wrong about that. But, so, yeah, I think we all were. And that'll be a really good series. I think um, St. Louis and Dallas is very interesting, more so, well, I guess a little less interesting for me than I, I wanted it to be with Sagan's health kind of wishy-washy. Yeah. I, I think Dallas with Sagan against St. Louis is a really cool matchup kind of ken hitchcock not guns a blazing offense versus the the wild dallas stars who just they could be up four well, goals it doesn't matter be down four goals it doesn't matter their their games are they're never from they're from texas it's the wild wild west it's yeah. fine it, 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 it's one of those things where look if pittsburgh don't win it i want dallas to win it or come really close to winning it playing the way they do because you want to see a copycat league, copy speed, offense will just outscore you sort of stuff. So that's sort of the way I look at it. And Washington do do that if, if, if they if they feel like they can win the track meet. Um, they're such a good team, they don't have to, to do it all the time. But Dallas have to play that way to win, and I'd love to see them win it if Pittsburgh don't, playing that way. Spets is playing great. Ben's always oh, great. Awesome. Uh I guess I haven't looked into it as much as I should. Is Sagan even potential to come back, or did he really screw? Is it a separate injury? I, I honestly, I, I don't know. It, it, it's one of those things where um, I've sort of kept more of an eye on the East Coast bias, uh, more of an eye on what's going on in the East, and, and I've I obviously watched Game Seven of the Chicago St. Louis, um, and I missed the. Missed the Wild and, and Dallas one, and I've not really paid attention to what's going on outside of the games, really. Yeah, sometimes it's tough. Some of those West Coast ones, I really tried my best to watch all of them. And I watch most, but, you know, the overtime ones make it tough when it's one thirty two in the morning. Yeah, it's not like in the afternoon when I can start drinking at 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock. <laughs> So um, you you mentioned the the Chicago St Louis series and that totally lived up to its billing. I'm happy for um, St Louis to kind of get the monkey off their back, so to speak. They've that's the thing with some of these kind of things that get said about teams. You know, you have player turnover and all this and that, and it's like, well, the past was the past. That wasn't the team that's competing. This year, nor is the opposition the same team as the one that's competing, you know? Yeah. Sure, there's well, carryover, but... 
that Chicago team wasn't the same Chicago team that had beaten St. Louis before. Still and, very good, but not the yes. elite of the league, I would argue. Correct. That's the thing. Like when you get there and say they weren't as good, it's not saying this team was terrible by any stretch. It just sort of tries to emphasize the point of how good those other Chicago teams were. Like St. Louis Amazing. was a really good really. team. So how do I discuss what I'm about to discuss without coming off as being too negative to Chicago? Because I don't want to do that. I think they've done a remarkable job. I think they're one of the model franchises for on-ice stuff. I think you've done a pretty good job of saying, I'm not racist, but. <laughs> no, I'm leaving aside the, the you know, the off-ice issues they've had this year. I don't, I'm not addressing them today. Oh, but, no, as, no, just, but as yeah, far as team construction and yeah. gaming the system when they did with Hosa and Keith, I thought was excellent. It was within the rules at the time. I have no problem with those contracts. Oh, of course not. But following Pittsburgh the way we do, seeing the criticisms levied against Crosby and Malkin for years that they weren't as clutch as uh, Taves and Kane and, all, and the three cups versus the one, and it it just struck me that in year one, when they're both making $10.5 million, they can't get out of the first round. Their depth wasn't as good. Taves didn't score in the first round. And it's like, well, gee, you know, now you're paying market rate for, for your guys because they got very um, – they were very fortunate in that their players were great but not great enough to avoid the bridge deal. Crosby and Malkin yeah. were top five players in the world, winning scoring titles, MVPs. They went from ELC to $8.7 million, and that was during a time period when the cap had not risen to $72 million yet. Fast forward think, to now, yeah. Kane, Taves, $10.5 million, but they got them for $6 million for so many years, which allowed them to build up depth properly. And now this is where I was didn't want to make it sound like I'm being overly critical, but the planet's kind of aligned for them to go on this run, unless we not forget that they never got injured, ever, as a team. True. So One thing, one thing you can say about that run, though, you're right. Everything aligned up for them, but they made the most of it. That's the, most, that's the clutch thing with it, though. You, you can't argue that part. Yeah, but they went all the way. Taves had three goals in 22 playoff games. Nobody talks about how he didn't do squat during that. Nobody talks about how Brent Seabrook had to calm him down in the penalty box because he was losing his shit. We glossed that over because the end result worked. The end result worked because they gamed those contracts. Uh, I was talking about the team in general, not necessarily the individual player. But, yes, oh. I, I, yeah, I get I get what you mean. You do get there, and you can make the, the, the comparisons between the two sets of players, and... It's one of those things, though, where the comparisons, I think the only way that Pittsburgh fans will ever be able to silence Chicago fans is if in the next five years, Pittsburgh win two more cups. That's, I think that's the only way you're ever going to get any form of reality in this, in this matchup because you'll get there and you'll hear Chicago fans say, Kane and Taves won three cups, that's all that matters, everything else that you win doesn't matter, and then you get... Pittsburgh with Malcolm and Crosby winning all of the awards that they win, and they've won a cup, right? So if Pittsburgh has Crosby and Malcolm win two more cups, then Pittsburgh fans will go, well, they've won the same amount of cups as your boys and won all of these other things as well. It's, it's, it's a stupid way to look at it. It's so black and white, but that's sort of what it comes down to in the end when you go fan base v fan base. Well, I'm not looking to silence fans or anything like that. They can certainly feel the way they want with it. I'm, I'm just... I got so frustrated over the years of Crosby and Malkin just taking the brunt of everything when they had poor depth, injury problems left and right, not only with them but with like other players on their team. And the other, you know, those other players get get a free pass on a lot of it when their situation was Stan Bowman created such a a much better situation. So that's in the past, which leads me to Chicago being super interesting moving forward. What's going to happen now that the $10.5 million for each of them, and certainly Patrick Kane winning a scoring title, probably the MVP, you're getting value there. Taves did not have a good year. You popped up a couple of good 
numbers and graphs um, through your Twitter feed over the after the or either during Game Seven or after Game Seven, and and Taves's numbers um, are on that you know very human decline. There's nothing wrong with the decline. The, the the big thing is is he going to decline like Joe Thornton and have it be a very slow progressive fall off? And he's not coming from the same height that Thornton was either points wise. Or is it going to fall off a cliff and be like Eric Stoll? Yeah, decline doesn't mean bad, by the way. So no, I hate when that's tied into that. But decline is real. That just means not as good, still very good. But you're one of the $10.5 million contract, and it's production-wise, possession-wise, looking like one of his worst years yet. Not to say he can't come back next year. But that's money still tied up. What do they do for depth? They've started to trade a lot of futures for the win-now approach, and that's kind of what got Pittsburgh into trouble for a few years there. They made a good trade, I thought, moving Saad. I know that at first it was like, geez, I can't believe you did that. But Anisimov's a great fit for them, and I thought Dano would have been a nice prospect to kind of see what he could do, but they moved him for a rental, a rental they're not going to be able to afford to keep, a rental that probably didn't have a huge impact on what what they needed and Seabrook contract is a is a bad one that's going to cost them Crawford is a really good goalie but six mils a lot it'll be interesting to see how they fill this roster out moving forward they're Panarin's going to want more money and they're not going to fall ass backwards into into a a Panarin (laughs) every year yeah (laughs) The thing that I find funny is that 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 lad for Dano trade, that's the sort of trade that got Shiro into trouble in Pittsburgh, and I think that's the trade that's going to get Bowman into trouble. They should have just stuck with Dano and and thought about two years. To, I, I, I get it. Like General managers and coaches' jobs are live in the now moment sort of thing now. It's really hard to plan ahead progressively and think, all right, we've got these young guys coming through. Like, Shiro got absolutely roasted for not picking anyone up in the in the first round of the draft that was a, a forward asset that's done anything, right? All these players that are playing well now in Pittsburgh who have come up through the system are all Shiro draft picks. You just don't have that time to wait for second and third round picks to develop and, and reap the benefit of it. I mean, um, it... I can I can understand why Bowman went. You know what? I reckon this might be our last year for a while. We might have to just pitch in with Lad, and then we'll have to look at how we reconstruct the roster after this. And like you said, that's going to be the interesting thing over the off season with Chicago. How do they go about restructuring that roster to um, to compete for a cup again? Because that'll be their that'll be their expectation. Yeah, and I think they can still find success. Clearly, they're still a good team. I just, I think it's interesting. They're they're doing some similar things. It looks like the Penguins of a few years back, where they went in on the now. Their stars got were paid like stars. There's not as much wiggle room. God forbid, there's injuries that happen. How can they overcome them? It's not just next guy up, kind of thing. Not anymore. So I just. I just wanted to paint like the parallel between kind of the two um, situations and how Chicago, uh, you know, awesome. They cashed in. They got three cups and nobody can take those away, and they did an awesome job to get them. But now I think they're on that same plane as Pittsburgh got because I do think it was a huge deal. They got Kane and Taves for the six mil and, and didn't. You know, go right to eight point well, seven mil. You look at that. If if if, you, if they had two players for twelve mil, they're now paying what is it, twenty one mil mm-hmm. each year. So that's a that's like two point five players on their roster that they can't fit. You know, they lost Patrick. Uh, they lost Patrick Sharp. They lost Johnny Oduya. Um, you know, they're sorry, Letty who they probably Letty, should yeah. have kept over Seabrook, to be honest. So so they, they've lost some integral pieces around their core of that depth that you need to carry you through the playoffs. Like, you need those guys to score for you. I mean, Troy Brower is not a superstar by any sense of the measure, but he's the guy that scored the Game 7 goal that, that knocked Chicago out. And I'm not using him as an example because he used to be a Blackhawk, 
but that's sort of how it works. I've always said this with the playoffs. As a general rule, your star players will perform, at least possession-wise. They might not put the puck in the net, but they at least perform possession-wise. It's the players around them that can help the team get over the hump when they're not putting the puck in the net for them to usually score the big goal. And Chicago didn't have that luxury this time around. Um, and, you know, St. Louis finally got that bounce. So I just I thought that was an interesting thing I wanted to, to talk about. Um, I don't think they're done as a franchise. I still think they can win Stanley Cups. It, it will just be interesting to see how they go about con- the roster construction and if they can get that injury luck to continue on and the stars play like stars because you know it doesn't always happen it's it's funny that you 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 get there and we've had this conversation and you we have to to put an asterisk next to what we're saying go we're not saying they're terrible we're just saying they're not as that's how polarizing some of these conversations have become at the moment is that if you're not for someone, well, then you're 100% against them. And that's not the thing at all. Chicago is still a great team. They still got over 100 points in the year. They lost in Game 7 and hit the post to tie it. Oh, double post, pretty... right? It was too, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so they were so close to at least getting it to OT. It's one of those things where it's like, so they didn't win it. They were going for four out of seven. Unfortunately, they didn't get it. You know, who knows? St. Louis might be the team that goes all the way through and wins the whole thing, and Chicago can go, well, we lost to the Cup the cup champs. <laughs> well, we know that many teams have been able to say that about them on the other side. Correct. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's my two cents on that topic. Um, uh, congrats to St. Louis, and um, they certainly have a great chance at beating Dallas without Sagan. They, they would have had a good chance even with them, and I think they're a good team. Okay, so what do you do with the fact that uh, it looks as though Ken Hitchcock doesn't want to actually play Tarasenko? Oh, God. I don't know. It, I shouldn't get as upset about these things as I do. I don't work for these teams. I'm not tied or attached to I don't know any of the players personally. But yeah, but Tarasenko is good fun to watch. I mean, it's like the logic is um, is just so difficult to comprehend it. It flies in the face of just... Logic. It flies in the face of logic. Why wouldn't you play that man as much as you can? He's like yeah. one of the absolute best at what he does on this planet. Uh, he is electrifying. And not only are his minutes low, and then he tries to justify the, the shift total. or It's like, dude, just play him. And he's not even getting power play time. That's madness. <laughs> you know... And I know that a lot of tweets were like, um, you know, comparing it to Troy Brower's ice time. And I know Troy Brower got that huge goal, but I still, I, I do agree with those tweets that Tarasenko needs to play more than Troy Brower. So we'll see if that Tarasenko, happens. Tarasenko should have the most ice time of all the forwards on that roster. Maybe in each game, either team outside of defensemen. Yeah, he should he should be 22 minutes a game at this time of year. He's young enough. He, he should be able to handle the minutes um, and the pace of the game. And he looks like he wants to be out there. That's the thing that sort of has me completely baffled with it. And you don't really want to bring it up in, in regards to it's not because of the reaction he had towards Hitchcock. But you do get there and go, he obviously wants to be on the ice. Put him out there. Because he's not a liability either. That's the other thing. No, he's a great player. Pans yeah. down. Boy, that shot, man. Anytime he shoots, it's... Is it going in? <laughs> like, fortunately, like, I'm never in a spot where I'm kind of not rooting against him, but it's not like the Penguins play him a lot. So most times I'm indifferent and I'm like, yeah, great. <laughs> but okay, but so playing I'm... against him has got to be just, like, terrible. Like, every time he's got it, it's just got to be the, the fear has to rise with like, oh my god, he's gonna score. Um did you expect the Islanders to win? No, and I think they're one of those teams that um buck buck the trend on, on kind of the 
things that I think me and you both look at. Uh, I think Florida outplayed them for much of that series. I think they got grassed. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up for that point. <laughs> you know, I'm not always right, but I think... It's good when you are. I think that I'm glad that he got a chance to start and do well because I think that he deserved that chance and he's he's making the most of it. So the thing the thing that I do find funny is you, you you see a few of the pundits and stuff like that get there and say, oh, I didn't expect this from Thomas Grice. But if you have a look at his numbers historically over his career, the potential was there for him to do this over a small sample size. He might regress back to his average or... You his know, average is above average, by the way. Correct. So if he goes back to his own average, they're still getting better than competent goalkeeping. You know, Tampa are going to have to play extremely well to beat him. And, and as you can see what happens with, with Ben Bishop, it, it could be a problem if Bishop has another bad game like that. They're going to be a tough team to outscore. The thing that was most noticeable... For me, in the Islanders-Florida series, other than Tavares is just like all the nice things we just said about um, Tarasenko, I could say about Tavares. He's one of the best in the league. Oh, yeah. He exactly. rose to the occasion, and he, he did what his – because his team's not you know, built as well as some of these other playoff teams. So it is more imperative that he, fair or not, has to play that way. Yeah, and he's done it well so far. Uh, but I, I watched that Florida's top line with Barkov, Huberdo, and, and Yager just live in the Islander zone, but the series boiled down to that line outplaying the Islanders but not getting anything to show for it. And unfortunately, that's how it works. you got to score goals. Uh, the process was great for them. But in, in a seven-game series, process is great, and it usually will lead to results. But in this case, it did not, and that top line came up short in the results. I can't say they played poorly, but at the same time, eventually you got to cash in. Hey, it's the 2010 Montreal Canadiens against the Capitals and the Penguins. They got absolutely dumped on by the T's, but Halak, you know, saved their ass. So... You, you do, you're right, if you're going to dominate play as, as well as, as Florida did, you, you do have to cash in and you do have to make the most of it. But, you know, you can get outplayed by a goalie. It's simple as that. Yeah, and one that maybe doesn't have experience or all this and that. Goalies catch fire. Um, you know, as Bruce Boudreau, like we said at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Loop it all the way back. So I think um, as far as Tampa, New York, obviously the Islanders won game one. But Tampa, I, I had Detroit winning. Tampa was way better than I perceived them to be with the injuries they had. And if I read correctly this morning, as we're recording here, Strawman's starting to skate in full equipment, not with the team yet, but he gets back. Man. That's going to be bad news for the Islanders, I think. Because Bishop's, he didn't have a great game, obviously, but he's up for the Vesna. You could argue whether he deserves the Vesna not or not, but it that still signifies, for the most part, he, he certainly didn't have a bad year. No, 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 no. Um, his numbers are, are very impressive, and to be perfectly honest, I think at some point through the playoffs you're going to have a bad game and maybe that's his one bad one. Like, you are going to get a couple of dodgy games out there. Um, you know, what did he give? He gave up four. I mean, Matt Murray gave up four today. Um, well, hang on. Tonight, your time? Last night? Or whatever it was. Um, and, and Holtby gave up three in, in OT and you get there and no one sort of seems to be dumping on either of those guys, but it's, it's how the goals get given up. Bishop will be fine. Game two, he'll probably give up one, I reckon. I just New York, the Islanders don't seem like a team that can just explode out of nowhere unless the goalie makes errors. Does that make sense? Or Tavares just does his thing. Yeah, I suppose. Although I like yeah. Shane Prince's addition, two goals. 
Rochester, New York native. <laughs> Underutilized in Ottawa, skilled, gets a chance, does some okay things. Not a star by any stretch, but fast, puck skills, go figure, find success. So I did, um, did like seeing that. Um, oh, before we move on from the Islanders, I do have to say, what a marvelous job they did tanking at the end of the regular season to get on that side of the bracket, though. <laughs> no, I, I, I fully applaud it. This bracket system sucks. They knew it sucked, but they found a way to make it work for them. And they're in the second round because of it. Because I, I don't think if they get Washington or Pittsburgh, they're in the second round. Uh, probably not. But it is it is funny how... And I don't like using Twitter for the for the thermometer of the entire you know hockey fan base, but I just don't hear anybody not associated with the NHL or the actual broadcasters of the NHL say they like it at all. Nobody. No, it's John. We know that. It, it, we yeah. did we did a whole podcast where we picked the teams not doing it their way. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, you just get there and you hear them go, oh, this is great, we've got this and this, and it's like Pittsburgh and Washington shouldn't be meeting up in the second round. That's sort of the – they were the two best teams well, in the end. I agree with that. I mean, there will be years where even no matter what method you use, that's going to happen. Heck, we had the Kings and Anaheim playing in round one, and that, that was that's a hell of a first-round series. But you're right. This is like forced, and there's no – I don't know. I Basically what it boils down to, they wanted to get in on the bracket game and have fans fill out brackets that don't mean anything. So they did. Yeah, That's what it's about. Fans going to NHL.com and filling out their brackets so they can pretend. If you do a, if you do a one-to-eight system, you still have a bracket to fill out. I think the way they used to do it was you reseeded, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, that, that's all. I just you get there and look at it, and it's it's just you don't see what's the point of playing eighty two games if you're the second. Like Pittsburgh don't have home ice advantage in this series, right? In the second round, and they've got the second most points all the way through the playoffs for the East. Yet Tampa have home ice advantage. So you sit there with it and you go, that's not right. Like it just it doesn't work. It's the what's the point of, of, of having the playoffs of having the regular season playing all these games against your division rivals if you're not going to get the the playoff seating you deserve. It just that's the thing that, that that baffles me with it. And it's it's worse for the West because you look at, at at how tough the West the West is as well. You know it is what it is at this point, and you know Pittsburgh and Washington are meeting in round two. So that's what we have, and I think it's going to be great. Game one was great. I think it lived up to its billing. Uh, lots of goals, lots of action, overtime. So Dirty hits. So, yeah, 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 it works out well. So we'll transition into that series. I, um, I think the winner of that series will go to the Stanley Cup final and have as good a chance as any of, of winning it all. I I think Pittsburgh will win the series. I know they're down by a game right now. I think they played well for much of that stretch. But, you know, Washington winning certainly ain't going to be a surprise to me. They're also very good. That's what makes the series so great. Um, It's really funny. If Malcolm can get to the point where they're happy to have him on the ice for 22 minutes a game, I think Pittsburgh win the series. If they're not comfortable having him on the ice for that length of time, maybe not. I honestly think that Malkin's the game-breaker on Pittsburgh side of things. It's just just like Evgeny Kinetsov is the game-breaker for the Caps. If he breaks out in this series, I think the Caps win it. It's it's that, not that Malkin's a second-tier second star, but you know how it's all, it's, it, at the moment, it's, it's Ovi and Crosby. That's basically what they're looking at. But I, I, I think it's the player's... That's, the, that's the casual sell job for the series, but I think the it people is. that love the sport know everything that goes into the series. I mean, that's the major tagline, but I don't, you know, we, we know that there's a lot of cool things going on. Pittsburgh Pittsburgh having Latang's really advantageous for them because he is a legitimate 
game breaker on that back end. And just as good as Washington's back six are, they don't have that guy that can make that special rush end to end and do something out of the ordinary. That's that's probably the difference for me in the back six. Um, I think Washington's is better overall, like from one to six. I don't know about that. I, I don't agree. I think at best they're even. And I would argue that Pittsburgh's two reserves that weren't playing are much better than the reserves that Washington has if there's any injury. Yes, but Pittsburgh's two reserves should be playing. That's the problem I have. I know. We've we've, What's, <laughs> we've covered that. that game, I know we've beaten this drum before, but I, like I've literally just finished watching that game like a couple of hours ago, right? And watching it knowing the score, you, you, you tend to not get quite as emotionally invested in it so you start looking at things a little bit differently and if Pittsburgh want to really screw Washington up put Pouliot and Schultz in the lineup because they can both skate and force Washington back and skate out of the zone Lovejoy and Kyle chipping it off the glass trying to make that safe play which is what they do when they get rushed just gives the puck back to Washington and that's when Pittsburgh got into a lot of trouble was when they were, the same thing happened to Marta. When when Marta was rushed, he would chip it, he would turn it over, um, and they would keep the zone pressure on. So quick feet and, and quick decision-making, I think, for either team, really, is going to be the difference in, in winning and losing. There's been a few people on Twitter that I've um, seen say that there are so many good forwards in this series and not enough good defenders to defend. And for me, I agree. I think the both teams are forward heavy. I think Pittsburgh has the best defenseman out of everybody. But, you know, I think one of their better guys is Pouliot for kind of the, if you want to own that, we're going to win with offense on their poor defense. I don't think the drop-off defensively is there. I think the gain that you get with controlled zone exits, which are huge, um, would be nice. But that's that's not that's not going to happen. I think Schultz goes in anyways if, if by chance somebody gets pulled out. Um, Ali Mata is an interesting situation here. He, he is making some isolated mistakes. And last night it led to a very big goal. I don't know whether he's physically capable at the moment to play top-line minutes. They swapped Marta and Dumoulin over, and both pairs balanced out a lot better. Daly and Dumoulin looked terrible at stages. Daly got crushed. Yeah, looked absolutely terrible. 14 shot attempts for 28 against 33%. it's it's really bizarre. That's a two for one ratio. Like that's not good. It's it's really bizarre how that pairings as a general rule, like I'm talking ninety percent of the time, top notch. Really happy with them. But when it goes wrong, it goes really wrong for them. So hopefully for Penguin's sake, that's their one wrong game that they have and they move through. But I've wanted Dumoulin to go up to play with the tank for a while. So I don't know whether they'll stick with that or anything, but I wouldn't be upset with Dumoulin playing top-line minutes because you could play Latang and Dumoulin against Ovi head-to-head if you wanted. Well, I'll give credit where it's deserved. Lovejoy not only scored a goal, but did well in his matchup, above 60% possession. So, I, I mean, it's one game. I still have the same concerns I always do with that pairing, is that the puck skills aren't, they don't make enough controlled plays to maximize the the forward depth that Pittsburgh yep. has. Yep. And I don't think the guys that could come in for them are that much different defensively. They may go about it a little bit differently, but I don't think the, the net results would be any worse and the gain that would be made playing the puck. But, you know, we've, this has been a topic we've talked about I, a bit. but I can't see Schultz or Pouliot getting into this particular series unless there's an injury because I think the coaching staff and the management are worried that the two guys, when they come in, will get pushed around. They, they already feel that they're a liability in the back end. I reckon they feel like they're going to get pushed off their spots when they're trying to post up uh, in front of the goalie and, and they'll just get out-muscled. I don't think that that's actually going to be the case, but I think that's 
what the coaching staff is concerned with. And that's the bit that I sort of don't understand. If you've got the puck, you can't get pushed around. So, I mean, the game lived up to the to the oh, billing. Awesome. It was really great. A lot of energy. Um, Pittsburgh came out very strong at first bit of the first period. I thought Washington really dominated that second half. That was their period. Uh, I believe they left with the one nothing lead, right? They did. They okay. Did Pittsburgh. Awesome. Pittsburgh needs to be careful. There were a few times last night where, you know, we've preached own who you are and be who you are and push that offensive play. And I don't change my view on that. But part of that, they got caught four guys deep for that three-on-one rush that led to the first goal. Then there was a play where I think they had almost all five guys deep, and they somehow um, forced a a quasi-icing that got all the way to Murray. But if that was a controlled exit, that was going to be a real dangerous thing. And then there was a play Latang made flat-footed at the offensive blue line that prevented like a three-on-one i'm okay with the risk i think over time they'll get more goals but the four deep you need to be not as casual with your puck choice there as they were i have no problem with the pushing of the play up but also respect that the puck carrier needs to make some really certain choices and i think for the most part they do but those isolated uh, chances certainly can go the other way. Sullivan mentioned that in his, his, his press conference afterwards. He, you know, like the way they played, but there were times where their decision-making wasn't as sharp as he'd like, and they'll work on it between games one and game two. So coaching staff obviously saw the same things you did. I It was it was funny. Towards the end of the game when it was 3-3, there were a couple of stages where Latang went to pinch to get the puck in the zone and got conservative and then gave up a shot against up the other end. And I got there, and it's like, you know, in that situation, would I prefer Latang to be aggressive like he is for the other, you know, 50 minutes of the game and jump on that puck? Or would I be shitty with him if he pinched, it got chipped around him, and they went down and scored on a breakaway? I would much prefer him to jump on that puck and take the risk because nine out of ten times – He'll win the puck, or the F3 will, will cover for him by the time the puck escapes. So it's an interesting play because playoffs are always different to regular season. So it'll be interesting to see what the attitudes are of the players that are aggressive and whether they get timid because of the situation they're in. Yep, and I think um, Pittsburgh definitely, I thought, did a really nice job killing penalties but I don't suggest going to that well too many times. I did a little piece on why Ovechkin is always open and why even if he's not open, you're still screwed. <laughs> it's just good plays. It's a, a great power play. power play, and they know where the two-on-ones are, and they're not afraid of leaving Ovechkin over there and not giving it to him because Backstrom is so wonderful on that half wall, and Carlson is certainly not afraid of shooting the puck, and they have that. They're in a 1-3-1, so the middle of the three and the one in front of the net is a staggered screen. Carlson gets the puck through. It makes for very tough saves, and he's willing to do it. So then the top penalty killer comes up, and then Carlson can move it to Backstrom, and guess where he gets to slide it right away? (sighs) To the guy that doesn't miss. (laughs) So it's a real problem, but I thought they did okay with it. But, yeah, don't, don't, don't do that. Hey, Pittsburgh's power play looked good too. So I think both teams will want to try and stay out of the penalty box. It's as simple as that. You could see both teams, and I hate using this because it's a very traditional thing, but you could see when Washington got that power play, they got some confidence up from that in that first period and really pushed the play five on five for quite some time. And Pittsburgh had the same thing happen to them when they got their first power play. So it was, um, it really does show you that between these two teams, when they've got the puck, they will own the play. It's really hard to get the puck back off them and and um, rest back the ascendancy. So it's going to be so much fun to watch. I'm, I'm not huge on the momentum thing, but this is what those power plays do for the most part. It takes guys like Crosby and Malkin off the ice for extended periods of time 
And of course, if your best players aren't playing, you're going to, and you have one less player, obviously the flow is going to go that way. And, um, so yeah, but you know, as always, it's the NHL. There was some, I thought there was a pretty bad miscall. I think people are going to know which one I'm talking about. I think it's the Tom Wilson knee on Connor Sheary. And my my problem with that, I'm not I know we talk a lot about suspensions on this podcast. I don't think a suspension, I don't think one's going to come first off. I know they're we're in the middle of the day by the time this gets released, I could be wrong on that, but suspending Tom Wilson doesn't help the Penguins. That five-minute power play they didn't get, it, that that's what hurts. That was a dirty yeah. play. It was very clear and obvious. It was a tie game. That's a huge moment in the game, and I just think that that's very unfortunate. You know, these players on both teams play super – they put their lives into it. It's their profession all year long, and just to have things like that, the game not – be where it needs to be as far as how it's called it, it's kind of bad and i tweeted before the game tom wilson's a useless plug he's much like the bottom six forwards pittsburgh used to have can't play worth a damn except the difference is he looks to injured players and sure enough there it is on a platter i I'm, just he's a complete fucking scrub i don't i don't understand it's really funny i watched the i watched the um the CBC broadcast, right? And I watched that and all three of them, Glenn Healy, Craig Simpson, John Houston, couldn't work out how it got missed. Like, they were like, how did they get... And their, their argument was in the end, jokingly, was just, was it so far behind the play, the puck was so far away from the incident that no one was looking at it? It's tough, though, with the two-official system. The trailing guy is supposed to be, that's the responsibility where the, the lead ref gets to follow the puck and the point of the second ref is to follow the um, the trailing guy. Yeah, so you sit there with it and I just you get concerned with the whole let's just let them play sort of scenario. And if there was a five-minute penalty on that, me, I would say, I look at that and I go, I don't think there will be a suspension, and I don't know if it really deserves a suspension, unless you get there and take the intent to injure aspect of it. I think it definitely deserves a suspension. The puck is nowhere to be found. There's clear intent of a knee to knee. I mean, what more do you need? There's, it's intent to injure. It's not to play the puck. The puck, like you said, the puck was so far gone it got missed. Yeah, no, no and this is the thing. Like I'm looking at that and. and and you go, it's not the most egregious thing that I've seen, but good grief could it have been, like, career-destroying for Connor Sheary. Yeah, and like, he got back up and played, so you know where this is going to go from a disciplinary standpoint. But again, the most important thing to me, Pittsburgh gets a five-minute power play there. What happens to the game? Certainly, I give the Capitals and Holtby a chance to get through that because, you know, you just never know. But, man, you, you have to think... Pittsburgh, with a timeout, with the talent they have, eventually would have probably scored a goal. I think. Would Would you say it would be above fifty percent? Oh, look, I, I would think so. I mean, they they were scoring at a thirty eight percent clip before that game, so you'd be you'd be thinking that they get one out of the the five minute major, and you know if if they suddenly click on a couple of plays, you're looking at two, but. And like you said, Holtby's definitely capable of, of, of shutting that down on some glorious opportunities. So you, you do get there and go, to, it would be a massive momentum change. I'll just use that word again. But it would, it would have been a massive change in the game had they scored on that. And you go, oh, the officials don't want to affect the game. Well, they did affect the game by not calling it because Wilson in game two will do something similar because he didn't get punished the first time. He should have been called for a hold when Malkin lit him up with a clean hit, held oh, onto his leg, tried. and then chased him down and cross-checked him. And I totally understand people are like, Malkin dove. I think he embellished the cross-check. Here's the problem I have with calling both of them there. He makes clean hit. 
gets held on to because why? I don't know. Why why is that okay? And then he skates away and the guy gets to track him down and take a free shot at him. Like and they both go, it's equal. It's like, come on. There has to be something there where the official has there's, to... there's, there's a consistent pattern of, of that sort of behavior with the officials all the way through. It's like you'll get there and someone will do something clean. There'll be a retaliatory incident. They won't call it. And then it's the second action or the third action in the sequence, I suppose, happens. And then they'll call them both. And you sit there and it's like, call the first one and the second incident wouldn't happen. You wouldn't have to pull them both. It's too much it's like, to ask oh, for right now. It's too much to uh, ask we'll, for. We'll take them both. And then you go, well, no, that's Wilson and Malkin. Like, who wins out on that one? Wilson, the, the Caps do. And that's the thing that absolutely baffles me with it. it I know that I, I live in a very small hockey community in that sense, but it really does feel like a lot of the people that I um, communicate with with hockey don't like the way the game's called at the moment. Just really don't. And it's, it's, it's funny that... You know, we're just grassroots fans viewing the game. Those up above that send out emails that don't give a toss about concussions are the ones setting the platform for what we see. So, um, yeah, that's that. I mean, what can you do? Uh, don't tell me about Hart, who does the nice charts that I use in my blogs. Um, just came out with the X win percentage from last night's game in Pittsburgh didn't play too poorly they 60.5 percent chance of winning that game if played over so better than 50 percent so they didn't play well or i'm sorry well they didn't play their best but played well enough to win didn't so you know they're down 0-1 it's not game over for them do you find it funny that the game winning goal was decided on a grainy image uh, during the 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 first few looks at it, I was like, there's no shot of that being... I said, that's not in. And um, it was really close. Uh, the goal was called on the ice, and I, I think with the evidence that was there, I, I, I have no problem with it being awarded the game-winning goal. That one look that they came up with from in front of Murray from the blocker side angle... He's yep. probably the best look at it. I know there's some people on Twitter posting like uh, visual optic physics and stuff like that on how it could be an illusion. And there's probably a small bit of credence to that. But I saw white between that puck when it was blown up. Um, Pittsburgh didn't play well in that overtime session, if I'm being completely honest. Oh, no, I think they got roasted. Like... You look at it in reality, they should have lost that overtime. Like, the the correct team won. I just found it amusing that with all this technology they've got, the image that they ended up going, yep, yeah, that's a good goal on, just it looked like a terribly grainy image. you got to think just, eventually there'll be a chip, right? Well, I, when I was watching it, like, I knew the result, right? So I was just trying to watch it and see what was going on, and I'm like... There has to be a chip put in the puck at some stage here and uh, and something put in the ice across the goal line. At some point, they're going to have to work that out so they know when the puck is across the line. Um, because I actually don't understand how the official could clearly see that cross the line to point so emphatically at the net. That's the bit that's sort of got me flummoxed. Like it's a good goal, don't get me wrong, but if that's a if that goal's wiped out, that call ends up being not not conclusive enough to say that it is a goal. And no, that's the difference. Understood. It all comes down to the official's call. So I'd like to know how he saw the well, puck. That's tough to know. I don't know where he yeah. was. I I'm not in his head seeing what he sees, so I'm not gonna be too I, I understand the importance of the on ice call. Because if that was that's called cool. no goal, then boy, oh boy, what do we do? If that's a no goal, then that would get white because they'd be going not conclusive evidence to overrule the official's call on the ice, and away we go. That said, though, um, for the overtime period, the right team won. Washington played that OT period um, much more aggressively. Um, Pittsburgh got a little passive, a little lazy with the puck. 
and, and Washington deserved the win. So it, it's more a process thing, I think, for me with the, the way the officials call it and then the, the process they go through to try and show that it was a goal. That's all. Yeah, f- Capitals had 15 shot attempts to only eight against that overtime period. And to put it into perspective, Washington uh, kicked ass in the first period. They had 23 attempts. But then periods two and three only had 25 combined, 13 and 12. They had 15 in overtime. So even yeah, how, they, lo- how long they, was overtime? It was under 10 minutes, was it not? It was 9.46 or something. So like half that. a period, and they're already out attempting what they did the the other full period. So yeah. uh, they played really well and deserved it. Yeah, you get there and go, look, it's not a, it's not a series turner because it's just game one, um, but... You Home team, President's Trophy, overtime win. Hey, it happens. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, any issues with Matt Murray? No, I, I, I certainly don't. I, I think he looked. Look, everyone knows I'm a Fleury fan, um, but boy, is he so much calmer in the net than Fleury? He gives you less conniptions watching the game with the way he keeps. Like, it, it's. It's night and day, and the team plays night and day in front of him compared to Fleury as well. I um, I thought he was great in period one. There were a lot of shots on him. Um, not a huge fan of goal three, to be honest. But every goalie lets in bad goals. It's going to happen. Um, I think you can give him a pass on goal three when you consider he stopped Ovechkin on a semi-breakaway, a breakaway, and a point-blank one-time one touch in the crease front area in overtime. And, um, you know. Look, he didn't he didn't lose the game for them. He gave them a chance to win, just like Holtby gave Washington a chance to win. So you, that's all you want from your goalie. You just don't want the goalie to give up a, a goal that sinks your team. And neither goalie did in, in this particular game. So, um, you know, playoff games are hard enough to win when you're not be, uh, just – when you, your goalie's not beating you for them. Um, and Murray and Holtby both did a really good job of, of providing the goalkeeping you would want. Yeah, I thought Holtby was really good. Gave up three goals, and it was still a 9.33 save percentage. So yeah. Pittsburgh's got great volume going his way, and I think that's the winning recipe. But Holtby, his career in his playoffs, it's been an awesome track record, though it'll continue to be tough to score. Uh, I don't think Sid had any points in game one. I don't think so. I would expect that to change. It was great to see Nick Benino, um, you know, score two goals, let alone one. That move at, or I'm sorry, he didn't have two goals, did he? No, he made the move that led to the Lovejoy. Yeah. It's nice to have a real third line center. He's a second line center, thank you. (laughs) It's nice to not have a complete duster. So, um, anything else on on the series? I ju- I'm I'm just really pumped to, to watch the hockey. Um, yeah, I, I think both teams are in the same boat with their bottom pairing defensemen. Uh, both teams are going to try and exploit them as much as they can. So, once again, I legitimately think it's going to be the fringes of the teams that win the series. So, your superstars are going to play like superstars, and they're going to equalize each other out it's going to be those players that are the tear down and probably the next tear down that are going to win you the series so i don't know where you put you know burakowski in amongst that whether he's a third tier or a second tier player but it's going to be players like him that will do the difference like you know you look at sherry and, and rust um and Haglin, those sorts of guys are the ones that pittsburgh need to do well and you know, Burakovsky, you're going to need Williams to score. Um, they'll want Carlson on the back end to, to put something in the net or at least get three or four assists through the series. So it's those sorts of guys around the fringes that need to do well. Like Pittsburgh are going to need Trevor Daly to, to put up some assists. Um, you know, someone needs to be the Max Talbot of this playoff run for Pittsburgh if they're going to go very far. Yep. Be fun to uh, see it play out, like I've said a few times. Oh yeah, look, it's the marquee matchup of the second round. 
It is, and, and it's it's probably a shame for the Islanders that they're going to get sort of snubbed and same with Tampa. Don't forget, Tampa could get back to their second Eastern Conference final two years in a row. So it, it's not. And like with Strawman, that's a game changer. And who knows, Stamkos <laughs> might be back by then. Yeah, and we've we've not even discussed the West. Like, really, hopefully, we can get our schedules together a little better, and and maybe discuss the West a little in a bit more depth the next time we get together. But um, the St. Louis Dallas series is going to be great. Yeah, Sharks uh, Predators will be. Hey, listen, a lot of these teams that are left, with the exception of the Islanders, are all. Um, Rob Volman tweeted out something. The eight remaining teams rank two, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, and eighteen out of thirty teams for score-adjusted Corsi. So, seven of the eight teams are top ten possession teams that are left. But that doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> you beat me to it. And the um, Predators beating the Ducks was a difference of 0.2%. So one had to go. And the Kings That's losing the to the Sharks was obviously another top five team beating another top five team. So It does, it does show you that having the puck really helps, doesn't it? Yeah, again, that, that logic stuff. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Hopefully we'll be on a, a better schedule. The site's back up again, which is nice. Uh, once again, apologies for that. So um, if that site being down didn't offend you too much, we would encourage you to visit our Patreon page, and uh, you can volunteer to donate to the podcast monetarily. And that's at patreon.com slash hockeyhurts. Visit hockeyhurts.com, iTunes, wherever you want to get the podcast. At Walshy66 on Twitter, at Gunner Stahl, uh, same. Hockeybuzz.com for my Penguins articles. And I think that'll do it. I think we're good. Catch you next week. All right. Enjoy the second round. We'll catch up with you soon enough.